I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Economist. From The Economist, this is Money Talks, a weekly conversation around themes in the worlds of business, finance, and economics. I'm Stan Pinel, the banking editor, and this week I'm in New York for the Buttonwood Gathering, a conference dedicated to financial technology, or fintech, as it's known. On the agenda for the gathering is how Silicon Valley will bring down the banks, or indeed, will it bring down the banks? Joining me this week is Tom Easton, our American finance editor. Tom, it's an article of faith among fintech startups. The banks are toast. They are about to be disrupted by startups in the same way that taxis have been by Uber and Airbnb by hotels. I mean, is that the way it's going to happen? If there's one area that the banks and fintech agree, is that the banks are operating under a huge regulatory burden. In many ways, that disadvantages banks and it enables startups to do all sorts of things more effectively and more cheaply. But it also limits all those startups as well. The regulatory system not only protects the banks in some ways, perhaps in terms of their safety, it protects them against competition as well. So, for example, banks can get deposit insurance on deposits. And fintech can disintermediate that a little bit by sending money to one place or another that also has deposits. But regulators really control that system. Remittances is an area where fintech has gone in very, very strongly. It can efficiently transfer money from one place to another. But once again, regulators play a huge part in this system and actually may protect banks in terms of their being at one end of the transaction or another. So I think if you look ahead five or 10 years, the things that put banks under most pressure today, notably regulation, will be the thing that will protect it five or 10 years hence. So let's look a little bit at what exactly we mean by fintech, because there's, there's a whole bunch of different things going on. Uh, one of them that I find really interesting is, is peer-to-peer lenders or marketplace lenders, uh, as they're known. In the US, you have Lending Club, you have uh, SoFi. In the UK, you have Zopa, Ratesetter, a whole bunch of different ones that are essentially platforms. They match people with money with too much money, arguably, with people who need it. I mean, Tom, that sounds like exactly what banks were designed to do. Yeah, so I think that that business as well um, on the fintech side is evolving at very, very fast speed. It used to be one individual potentially buying loans from another individual. Now institutions are getting into this business. They're looking through the systems that peer-to-peer lenders have created, and they're buying mass groupings of loans, and they're bundling them and so forth, and they're using advanced analytics to measure their credibility. And to that extent, that business will all leave the banks. On the other hand, we haven't had a huge credit contraction since peer-to-pin lending started. And I think people haven't gotten used to the idea that they're going to have to suffer losses. And it's going to be jarring when it happens, and it will happen. But there's been no benign credit cycle that's ever lasted for very long. They all come to a jarring end. After it comes to an end, many people who are participating in that peer-to-pin lending may bail out. In the end, I, I would imagine that we have a smaller banking sector, but I can't believe it will disappear because through all that chaos, they have structural 
things that keep them going. Most importantly, government backing. Another area which is being disrupted, to use the language of Silicon Valley, is payment. So everything from Apple Pay to uh, Facebook, uh, messaging money around. Uh, Venmo is an app which is very popular with teenagers, uh, now belongs to PayPal. Uh, again, sending money around. People are very excited about Bitcoin and blockchain. I mean, again, like this is the stuff banks were designed to do. Why are they not able to do it better than these startups? So a lot of the banks are actually involved in these payment systems just in a very, very deep level. It's their pipes that sometimes these things go through as they go from one place to another. So, you know, if you look at a incubator like WeWorks, JP Morgan knows that it really can't lend to the small companies that are at WeWorks, and it knows it can't do underwritings because they're still too small, but it can provide some sort of payment backbone that other entities will use for their services. So I think banks will still play a role in the system, but it will be kind of in the embedded plumbing that nobody really looks at. Does that mean that they'll have the same presence that they had 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago? No, they will not. They will have a part of the system, the part of the system that the regulators want them to have, and all those other things will migrate to people who are more nimble in terms of marketing and in terms of customizing in ways that all the smaller companies that are rising up would really prefer. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned that because like a mark of success for a fintech startup or any startup is being a unicorn, that mythical $1 billion valuation. That sounds like a lot of money, but if you're like a JP Morgan or a Goldman Sachs, I mean, that's like a week's worth of earnings. Are the banks going to take out, just simply buy out the the successful fintech startups and, and just get rid of their competition that way? I think banks are very limited in terms of what they can do. I mean, right now, they're devoting more and more resources to dealing with regulation. And they tend to be um, very, very mechanical in their processes. And they have to have those processes approved all up and down the line because they're terrified of somehow creating some sort of infraction. I think that does not bode well for being as nimble and supple and customer-friendly as a lot of the fintech firms. So they may buy up loads of fintech firms. They'll probably wreck them once they get them. Other fintech firms will rise up from the ones that are purchased, and they'll do effectively the same things, and maybe they will be bought up by banks as well. The fact is, they'll just do different things. And uh, what when you have a really dynamic system, you have entities doing both of those sorts of things. Tom, one thing that I heard uh, a lot about when I was reporting on fintech is the banks fear that some of the valuable services they offer to clients are going to be taken over by fintech. But meanwhile, the banks are going to be left with the cost of administering uh, what in Britain is called the current account, the checking account. So the the fintech guys will offer, you alluded to, remittances at a much better rate than the banks. Uh, That is a source of margin now uh, that they will no longer have, but they will still have the cost. And that fundamentally alters the economics of day-to-day banking. Yeah, that'll be devastating. And what will be interesting is that you'll take away a business that nobody really knew was very important. Like you'll take the profit out of remittances, sending money from one place to another. And all of a sudden, operations that some banks have had all over the world, you know, in all sorts of different countries, will no longer be financially viable. And we didn't realize they were financially viable because they had all these people doing all these different things. But in fact, they all relied on this one service that provided a tremendous amount of revenue. So you may see some of the global banks unwinding almost inadvertently because of the high profit business that are taken away by a lot of the fintech operators. I mean, the tide will go out. And when the tide goes out, you're going to see all sorts of operations that have all sorts of hidden secrets about how they make money, and it will be terrible for them. And I think the ones that are particularly at risk in this are the global banks, because they spend a fortune to get the pipes and so forth for the remittances going. And if they can't get the revenues from it, a lot of the other operations they do won't be viable as well either. One of the reasons that the revenues of fintech operations might be so small is because actually the marginal cost of producing that sort of service is very 
very, very small. And banks were earning very, very, very fat fees on something that didn't cost them very much to provide so they could pay for lots of other things like branches and buildings and all sorts, you know, travel and, you know, God knows what. So in fact, their small revenues might be entirely disproportionate to their impact. Well, and maybe that is the real impact of fintech, actually, is it, it forces the banks to sharpen up their game. And it may mean fewer branches. It may mean slimmer costs. It may mean focusing on the stuff that the customers want and are willing to pay for, as opposed to the all-around service they get now. It's very hard to find anyone who works in a commercial bank and maybe even an investment bank these days who's happy. You know, their lives are just more and more rules and more and more cost-cutting. And when you see fintech coming into the equation, it seems, A, it will be worse for them with one exception. If you go into a fintech firm, inevitably there are many people who used to work for a bank, and they're really happy. So, you know, to the extent that bankers will have joyful futures, it will be working for these fintech firms. As for their old institutions, lots of names will either shrink or disappear, and it's just hard to see why, how they'll be happy places to be while this kind of grinding process goes forward of increasing regulatory costs and decreasing revenues from their most profitable services. Yeah, certainly one grumble I hear a lot from bankers is that they're struggling to find talent, especially young talent who used to flock to to Wall Street and to investment banks. Those guys now all want to work either at startups, maybe starting their own businesses, or the likes of Google and Facebook. Right. I mean, they're much more fun and they're much less regulated. I mean, we just learned this week about all these, you know, uh, newly hired analysts at J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs who were sacked for, you know, cheating on internal compliance tests. And what was their cheating? Their cheating was looking at the web to find answers. Precisely the reason they got fired and was considered probably unethical and immoral from the big banks were what made them valuable if they work for all sorts of fintech firms. So where are they going to get up? They're going to go to places where they're actually praised for finding all sorts of information online really efficiently and cheaply, where someone is monitoring all their emails and all their transmissions. And, and, you know, I don't blame the big banks for doing it. This is the environment that they're in, but it's a tough, harsh, hostile place to be at the moment. And these other places are a lot of fun. And it's really nice to think that even, even if you don't know that you're going to be a unicorn, or even if you don't know you're going to be more valuable tomorrow, you might be. Tom, is there a generational thing? It strikes me that this fabled millennial generation, people born kind of after uh, the early 80s, uh, are much more trusting of technology groups, much less trusting of banks who they've seen fail badly uh, in their lifetimes. Uh, Do you think they're more likely to trust a startup when it comes to their money? So when you say their money, you know, a lot of things that are going on in fintech have nothing to do really with their money in terms of how it's invested or saved. Nobody really cares if some sort of deposit is guaranteed and it's transmitted through a fintech firm if the guarantee is there. Mostly what people just want is an effective, cheap service that's very, very convenient. And that's what fintech firms are serving. So I know that there's kind of a buzz about them and I know that there's a glitter about them, but they're not going to succeed because they're buzzy or they're glittery or because young people like them. They're going to succeed because actually effectively take care of tasks at a lower price point with a better customer experience than existing competitors do. And you know, in many cases, that's exactly what they do. Uh, Tom Easton, you are the only person in finance who can make anybody feel sorry for investment bankers. That's all we have time for this week. Tom Easton, thanks very much uh, again. Uh, Watch out in the upcoming print edition of The Economist for a piece on banking and fintech. You can find more news on finance, economics, and business at economist.com. In New York, this is The Economist. The Economist. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? 
the federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.